This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, December 23rd. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. This may have been the most chaotic week of what's undoubtedly the most chaotic presidency ever in the history of the United States. That observation came from the Senate Democratic leader. But last week, several stunning decisions made by President Trump shocked even his closest advisors, Republicans, and U.S. allies. Walls work. Whether we like it or not, they work better than anything. The president's demand for $5 billion in border wall funding blew up an agreement to keep key parts of the government running. Instead, it's a Christmas shutdown that could last well into the new year. We're totally prepared for a very long shutdown. Plus, the snap decision that sent shockwaves around the world as the president ignored the advice of his cabinet, military leaders, and some of his closest allies on Capitol Hill and announced by Twitter that he's pulling U.S. troops out of Syria and making plans to cut our forces in Afghanistan in half. We have won against ISIS. We've beaten them, and we've beaten them badly. But ISIS hasn't been beaten, and the move will impact international efforts in the war on terror. Retired General James Mattis became the first defense secretary to resign in protest of a commander-in-chief's decision. Plus, Brett McGurk, the U.S. diplomat coordinating the fight against ISIS among our allies, quit. Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul supports the president's decision. The new number three in the House Republican leadership, Wyoming's Liz Cheney, opposes it. We'll talk with them both. Delaware Democratic Senator Chris Coons will also be here and will honor a 68-year tradition with our year-ender CBS News Correspondents Panel. We'll talk about what's happened this week and look ahead to 2019. It's all coming up on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. Congress has gone home for Christmas, but President Trump has canceled his trip to Florida and will stay at the White House as almost 400,000 federal workers are now on furlough and another 400,000 are working without pay until at least Thursday when the Senate returns. Some national parks and tourist sites have been affected by the shutdown, but other government services will continue, including TSA screeners and the Postal Service. We begin today with Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul. He sits on the Homeland Security and Foreign Relations Committees, and he joins us this morning from Lake Jackson, Texas. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Thank you. Good morning. You've been warning a lot about fiscal responsibility and this staggering $22 trillion debt. So with that in mind, do you intend to vote for any kind of spending bill that includes billions of dollars from U.S. taxpayers without any offset? No. In fact, I've never voted for any of these large spending bills that puts all of the spending together because we have a trillion-dollar deficit this year. And Republicans, so the as you border recall, wall we is, promised is a... that we were going to spend less money. The border wall is not we something you will vote for? We promised to spend for? less money, and so I won't vote for it. Well, I would if we were to offset it with cuts somewhere. And so what I've advised is we spend about $50 billion a year in Afghanistan. I think we should declare victory years ago. I think we should come home. And out of that $50 billion in savings, I think we would have enough for a border wall and security. I want to move, though, to foreign policy, where you do seem to be aligned with the president. You've been on a tweet storm this morning saying uh, of president's decision to pull out of Syria and cut our troop presence in Afghanistan in half. You said the entire foreign policy establishment of Washington, D.C., who two years ago were swearing Trump was going to start multiple nuclear wars... Now they're mad because he's stopping two wars. How about you just admit you hate the president, love war, and have been wrong for the last 20 years on every part of foreign policy? Who are you referring to? Because the defense secretary and the top diplomat 
handling ISIS, both resigned over these decisions. You know, I think that we should look at some of the statements of the people who are advocating that we stay in Afghanistan forever and that we also stay now in Syria with no sort of determined end. General Mattis, even General Mattis said that there's no military solution to Syria, and he's also said there's no military solution to Afghanistan. How do you think our young soldiers feel? I have members of my family that are going over there soon. How do you think they feel being sent to Afghanistan when your generals are saying there's no military solution? Mm -hmm. So I think the burden is really on Mattis and others who want perpetual war to explain why, if there is no military solution, we're sending more troops. I think the onus is really on them to explain themselves. Well, on that issue, though, it's not perpetual war. The argument has been uh, from diplomats that you need the credible threat of military force in order to get people to the negotiating table. What is the incentive now in Afghanistan well, is, or Syria uh, to have uh, any kind of negotiation uh, if there's uh, no leverage? We've been there 17 years. We think now we're going to take one more village and we'll get a better negotiated deal. Does anybody well, that's remember what the Trump Vietnam? Administration that was the strategy of Vietnam for years after year after year in Vietnam was to take one more village and we'll get a better negotiated deal. No, they waited us out and the Taliban are going to wait us out. They know we will eventually leave and leave we must. I mean, I don't think we have enough money to be paying to build and rebuild and build and rebuild Afghanistan. The president's right, and I think the people agree with him. Let's, let's rebuild America. Let's spend that money here at home. Well, if you accept the premise of what you just laid out here, and, and some people do agree that particularly in Syria, 2,000 troops and two dozen diplomats can't make a difference. So if you accept that, though, if you look at what the defense secretary put in his resignation letter, what you're hearing here is, is concern about how it's being done about abandoning allies, about not having a process, about yeah. not being clear-eyed regarding America's enemies. How I do you know. respond to that? I know. But here, here's the problem with all of these generals. They're like, oh, it's precipitous. We've been there 17 years. We've been in the Middle East most of that time. It's not precipitous. The president promised when we went into Syria, our goal was to wipe out ISIS. We took 99% of the land. They're on the run. Can the people who live there not do anything? We spent trillions of dollars arming the entire Middle East, arming Afghan army. Can they not do anything? Do we have to do everything? We defeated ISIS. But now you have the, the hawks in the administration and throughout Congress saying, oh, now we have to wait till Russia and Iran leave Syria. Well, that was never our goal, and it's never going to happen. Well, so that those was the goal articulated by the National war. Security Advisor to the President, John Bolton. <laughs> that is what he said, U.S. It, policy It was, was never the goal. It was never the—that's a new goal. That's what you call mission creep. The mission has now changed that we're going to wait till Iran leaves and Russia leaves. Well, the president told him that's not his mission, and that was never the mission. The mission was to wipe out ISIS— and we did succeed. And the thing is, it's incredibly bold to win a war and come home. That's what the people want. If you poll the American people, it's 60 to 70 percent of people are ready to get out of Afghanistan. And I'll bet you it's the same as Syria if you ask the people. It's only the people in Washington, the armchair generals, that want to keep us at war forever. And people, Americans are tired of it. We want that money here at home, and we want to create jobs, roads, bridges here at home, not in Afghanistan. The concern raised by people like Brett McGurk, who, who was the president's uh, diplomat handling the anti-OSIS coalition, is that if you move out too quickly, if you agree we're going to draw down, at least have a plan on how to do it. At least do it in a way that doesn't abandon allies. And in fact, he warned in his resignation letter that this right. could create a vacuum that would allow terrorist groups like the Islamic State to reemerge. In other, other words, we'll have to go back That'll in a few years. That'll always be true. What, what, that, that statement will always be true. That statement will be true in 15 years. The place is a mess. I mean, they've been fighting each other for a thousand years. Sunni and Shia have been fighting each other since Battle of Karbala in 832 A.D. They're going to fight each other to the end of time. It's all of them. It's an intercomplicated mess that has to do with Sunni extremism versus Shia extremism and also some other various battles in between. But if we wait till there's uh, potent no potential for anybody fighting each other when we leave, we will be there forever. But here's what we need to do, and here's the real problem. We have so politicized the relationship with Russia that there isn't a Democrat in the land that is for any kind of negotiation with Russia now because they know it's an anti-Trump position to be heaping on Russia. Russia's a big player. 
if we don't talk to Russia about Syria, we will never come to a resolution. Iran is a player. We actually have to talk to Iran about yeah. Syria as well. Assad is a player. We, have, we can't just say Assad's going to go. He won the war. These people have their head in the sand, and they just want to send 2,000 troops there. They become a tripwire to a possibility of a much-expanded war involving Russia and Iran, and that would be a huge mistake. Mistake. I don't think the American people want another big war in the Middle East. The Pentagon and State Department say there are tens of thousands of ISIS fighters still in Syria. How can you credibly say mission accomplished? Do you think ISIS has been defeated? Right. I think the numbers are wildly inflated and nobody knows. I think there are maybe 10,000 so-called radicals, and these are radicals. They're in Idlib, and they're surrounded by Turks, Syrians, Kurds, others. And I don't think they're going anywhere. And right now, there's not a lot of heated battles going on. But my question is, why do American young men and women always have to lay our lives down? Do the people over there, are they incapable of doing anything? And here's the thing. Muslims need to ultimately police Muslim lands. When Americans are there and we kill someone who lives there, they see it as a religious affront, and they see it as the pagans have come to take their land. And for every one we kill, we create 10 to 100 more. So it isn't working. We have supplied them all with money. We've given them uniforms. We've given them weapons. They need to step up, and they need to eradicate these violent people from their midst. Senator Paul, thank you. Thanks for having me. We turn now to Delaware Democratic Senator Chris Coons. He joins us from Wilmington this morning. Welcome to Face the Nation. I know there was a lot that uh, you want to respond to there, but very quickly on the shutdown, White House says they will accept less than 5 billion Democrats offering 1.3 for this border wall. How does this end? Well, it ends when President Trump recognizes that the bipartisan agreement uh, we came to just last Wednesday that the Senate voted unanimously on uh, is the agreement that ultimately he's going to have to accept. Uh, it's President Trump who two weeks ago said, uh, I will cheer on a government shutdown. I will champion a government shutdown. I will take responsibility for a shutdown. And here we are with a government shutdown. Uh, there is, frankly, no path towards his getting $5 billion in American taxpayer money to meet his campaign promise of a big, beautiful wall with Mexico. Uh, there is a path towards our um, responsibly appropriating about $1.3 billion for border security. Margaret, I'll remind you, the administration hasn't spent yet the $1.3 billion we appropriated for border security this year. I think the president simply needs to hear yes, and we all need to move forward. We will see what happens in the new uh, year and possibly the new Congress there. Uh, back to foreign policy. I know you heard a lot from Senator Paul there. Um, yes, I did. How do you respond to what he laid out, which is just the president is doing what he was elected to do. These are forever wars. I could not disagree more. Um, I think uh, by abruptly withdrawing from Syria, uh, President Trump is handing a great big Christmas gift to Vladimir Putin of Russia and to the Ayatollah Khamenei of Iran. And it's a pretty clear guidepost for me when there is a foreign policy decision that's cheered by Vladimir Putin and Rand Paul. That's a pretty good sign. It's a terrible idea. On a bipartisan basis, members of the Senate are pleading with President Trump to reconsider, um, to think that possibly his most senior generals and most experienced military leaders might be right. We shouldn't fumble the ball on the five-yard line. Um, the mission against ISIS, where the United States built... Uh, a coalition of dozens of countries, is on the verge of winning, of completely shutting down ISIS in Syria. And for us to withdraw right now and abandon our Kurdish allies paves a highway for control of Syria for either Iran and Russia or Turkey, none of which is a good outcome, and profoundly um, disorients our allies who came into this fight alongside us and weren't consulted and weren't given enough of a heads up. I'm concerned about the security of Israel and what it does to Israel to have Iran strengthened on its immediate border. I'm concerned about the message this sends about how reliable an ally the United States is. And I'm concerned what it says about our ability to stick to a fight until it's won. The fight against ISIS is not won. And Brett McGurk's resignation and Secretary Jim Mattis's resignation and his dramatic letter of resignation make that very clear. Well, you talk about that letter of resignation, um, the, the defense secretary saying it's not just pulling out, it's this broader principle right. of abandoning alliances, the broader principle, he says, of being clear-eyed and recognizing threats from Russia and China. 
for any new nominee who steps into that role potentially, what are you going to do if the defense secretary nominated agrees with the president? Well, one of the things that was most striking about Secretary Jim Mattis was how broadly he was supported on a bipartisan basis, someone who spent 40 years both in combat commands and in policy commands and was at the most senior and seasoned level of the American uh, armed forces. If the president instead chooses an America first defense secretary, um, we will have confirmation hearings. We'll hopefully get the chance to ask him or her probing questions. But if it's someone who doesn't believe in the importance of our alliances, as Secretary Mattis did, if this is someone who doesn't have a clear-eyed view of the very real threat to our security opposed by both Russia and China, uh, then they won't get my support and they won't enjoy the sort of broad bipartisan support that Secretary Mattis has for so long. Senator Coons, I also want to ask you uh, about something I know you've raised a red flag about. I mean, we have seen uh, a real rough year lately for stocks, certainly a rough week. Um, and markets were rattled by some of these uh, reports that the president is considering trying to fire the chairman of the Federal Reserve. I know the Treasury Secretary and Chief of Staff both say he doesn't have the power to do it. You have warned about the dangers of any kind of interference. Is there anything that Congress can do to stop this? Well, um, Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona, my friend and a Republican and conservative, uh, joined with me in sending a letter to the president directly a few weeks ago saying, please don't criticize uh, Jay Powell and the, the Fed, their decision making. Uh, that's an abrupt change in practice by the president to publicly criticize their decision making. Uh, now he's reportedly considering an even uh, bolder and uh, un less wise move uh, in considering firing Jay Powell or demoting him. Um, that got a very sharp response from the markets. This was the worst week for the American stock markets in a decade. And that is as strong a signal as I think you can get uh, from our economic policy leaders. Um, I think it would be just a terrible idea. Senator Flake and I have uh, visited and worked with uh, countries in the developing world in Africa where the president can pick up the phone and demand the central bank print more money or mm -hmm. change their monetary policy in order to help the president's reelection prospects. Uh, those countries have economies that are very unstable and not as secure and as prosperous as ours. The independence of the Fed is a key linchpin of American economic security. And I just I plead with the president to reconsider what is a very dangerous course in economic yeah. policy. All right, Senator Coons, thank you for joining us. We'll be back in one minute with a lot more Face the Nation. Don't go away. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. Joining us now is the chair of the House GOP conference in the new Congress, Representative Liz Cheney. That position is the third highest ranking House Republican, a job her father held some 30 years ago. Great to have you here. Great to be here, Margaret. Thank you very much. A quarter of the U.S. government is shut down right now. You heard from the White House they'll take less than $5 billion, showing some movement, no movement yet that we've heard uh, on the Democratic side from the Senate. But the longer this goes on, don't Democrats get more and more leverage as they look at taking control of the House in the new year? Well, I think we, we know all of us need to stop uh, talking about this from a political perspective. The bottom line is the president's been clear. We've got to secure the border. The House voted uh, for a bill that does just that. And uh, we need uh, the, the Democrats in both the House and the Senate uh, to come to the table to get the work done. So I think, you know, the, all of the calculations about who this helps or hurts politically, at the end of the day, the American people want to see the border 
secure. And the House Republicans stand firmly with the president in uh, doing what's necessary in order to provide the resources for that. So you don't think this gets tougher the longer it goes on? I think we need to we need to get the government open, and I think that we need to do it. We shouldn't have to be in a situation where a government shutdown is is you know a threat uh, because the Democrats won't provide the resources to secure the border. So we're committed to doing that. We've already done our work on the House side to pass that legislation mm -hmm. uh, with Republican votes, uh, and we need to make sure that uh, that the Democrats will come to the table. Nobody wants to see this kind of gamesmanship go on. I want to ask you about the resignation of Defense Secretary Jim Mattis. Uh, his letter cited concern about the president's lack of respect for allies and lack of clarity regarding competitors like China and Russia. He seemed to invoke a lot of principles that traditionally Republicans do embrace. So do you see this as a call to action for the party that he says the president doesn't believe in these things? Look, I, I am deeply, deeply concerned, uh, and I oppose uh, strongly the president's decision, uh, apparently, to withdraw troops from Syria, uh, the apparent decision that, that we're now going to be looking at withdrawing troops from Afghanistan. I think this president has done a lot of very good things in terms of beginning to rebuild our military, getting out of the Iranian nuclear agreement. But these two decisions would be disastrous. They would really, in many ways, hand the victories to our enemies, uh, to Iran, to ISIS in Syria, uh, the Taliban, al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. It's a very dangerous path to go down, and, and we shouldn't be going down it. We ought to make sure that we keep our troops there in order to prevent the establishment of safe havens uh, from those groups that want to attack us. But foreign us policy is an area that the president has some leeway on here. I mean, is there anything Congress can do other than implore the president to reconsider? Well, I think that that's very important. I think that, you know, what we need to do is talk about the substance of these policies. And nobody is talking about, uh, you know, the kinds of things uh, that Senator Paul mentions. He seems to really be focused on blame America first and, and unburdened by facts. But if you look at what our troops are doing on the ground in Syria, for example, it's about 2,200 special operations forces providing air support, providing some artillery support. Uh, and that battle, that fight against ISIS isn't done. You quoted the numbers of, of ISIS fighters still there. We've seen how quickly ISIS can reconstitute. If we were to withdraw precipitously from Syria, if we were to withdraw from Afghanistan, leave a situation where our enemies could again establish safe havens, uh, there's no question in my mind the president will regret that and we'll be in a situation where we probably have to go back at far greater cost, both in terms of treasure but also mostly American lives. So you would argue that while the president's pulling out troops, that things like air support, things like continuing to fund and support allies who are the ground forces, the Kurds, et cetera, should continue? Well, the, the troops that are there in Syria, that is exactly what they're doing. So we should not pull those forces out. We ought to make sure that we continue that mission until ISIS is defeated. This shouldn't be about you know, it's been this many years, it's been this much time, you don't just declare victory. You have to say, you know, it is the mission accomplished. And that may require that we're there for a long time because we have to make sure, you know, the, the, those who are isolationists in our party, luckily there are a few of them, Rand Paul is one of them. But the president seem seems to, to argue, agree with him. Well, I, it's very important that the president reverse this decision, in my view, because you've got to remember we are there because we were attacked. And we were attacked by al-Qaeda uh, on 9-11. That's why we are in Afghanistan. In Syria, you've got Iran. Uh, you've got ISIS. If we're to withdraw from Syria now, we're basically handing Syria to the Iranians. We're handing the Iranians the linchpin in, in uh, the Shia crescent that they need and that they have set as their objective and their goal. Uh, it will be... Uh, very dangerous for the United States. It will, frankly, decrease our security, and it'll be very dangerous for allies like Israel. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's important for us to look very closely at what's happening there, but, but we should not be withdrawing our forces. I want to ask you about something we referenced on the intro, which is uh, you're in an incredibly powerful position uh, in the new Congress, uh, one of the most, the most influential female Republican uh, on the House side. But when you look overall at the new Congress, the number of Republican women is at the lowest level since 1990. 95. Does your party have a problem attracting candidates, or is it getting people to vote for them? We need to do better at both things, Margaret. We need to do better at, at making sure that we're helping and supporting uh, Republican women uh, as candidates. And we also have to do a better job at making sure that our message is getting out there and that we're attracting more Republican women, more women voters to the party. And I think a large part of that is explaining to people why it is, if you look at the policies that are coming in on the Democratic side, for example, they're very, very far left, mm -hmm. uh, as far left as, as socialism. And we need to be do a better job as Republicans in explaining why we stand for freedom and opportunity for everybody. We have to leave it there. Overnight, a tsunami believed to be triggered by a volcanic eruption hit coastal towns along Indonesia's Sundra Strait. 
222 people are dead, 843 are injured, and dozens are still missing. The death toll is expected to rise. The massive wave crashed down on a group of people attending a concert on the beach and destroyed homes, cars, and buildings in the area. And it comes just days before the 14th anniversary of the 2004 tsunami in western Indonesia that killed more than 230,000 people. We'll be back in a moment. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. to Face the Nation and our 68-year CBS News tradition, the CBS News Correspondents' Year-End Roundtable. Joining me today, National Security Correspondent David Martin and Chief Justice and Homeland Security Correspondent Jeff Pegues, plus Chief Washington Correspondents Major Garrett and CBS News Correspondent Paula Reed, who interrupted her visit to her new in-laws to join us this morning. Thank you very much, Paula, for being here. Thank a lot you. of interruptions this week. And a lot of chiefs at the table, too. Way I, I, too many chiefs. And way too many headlines. But, David, I want to start off with you. Uh, this Mattis resignation, um, he clearly quit based on that letter where he laid out uh, fundamental differences that he has with the president. What happens next? Well, we don't know. Uh, For one thing, the resignation was not going to take effect until the end of February, so he would be on the job for effectively two more months through the creation of the new budget uh, through uh, another uh, meeting of uh, NATO defense chiefs. But we are getting indications this morning that he may be going right now. Um, That he was fired, essentially, told to... We we have a statement from the Pentagon saying the Secretary of Defense serves at the pleasure of the president. And uh, I interpret that as as meaning that the secretary has been asked to uh, go at once. I don't have confirmation of that, but that's how I interpret that statement. What does that mean in the immediate sense? Who steps up? Well, the the Deputy Secretary of Defense is a man named Patrick Shanahan. Most people uh, never hear uh, the name of the Deputy Secretary of Defense. He's uh, got uh, a lifetime of experience uh, with Boeing building airplanes. Uh, He likes to say he's built more airplanes than anybody in the world, and it's it's, uh, probably true. He's in charge of uh, President Trump's uh, pet project of uh, creating a space force, so he's had a number of dealings with, uh, with President Trump. He's obviously not the military expert that uh, uh, Mattis is, but what you really need to run the Pentagon is executive expertise and skills. So the fact that he's not a, a military expert uh, does not mean that he can't be an effective acting Secretary of Defense. And at the White House, the only name that has surfaced with any specificity has been Patrick Shanahan's as a replacement. This was a couple of days ago. And on the Hill, the soundings I've received is that because he's been confirmed already, he might have an easier confirmation process while the administration has so many confirmation battles ahead of it. Interior Secretary, Attorney General, U.N. Ambassador, et cetera, et cetera. This might be a person who could take that position, pay attention to procurement, maintenance, space force, and leave 
maybe some of the larger policy questions to Secretary of State Pompeo and the National Security Advisor John Bolton. That would certainly please the two of them. Major, if, if what David is saying, he's sort of reading between the lines of that Pentagon statement is true, that... Well, that always means the same thing. I serve at the pleasure of the president. If the president is displeased, I'm out. Well, we clearly saw from these tweets last night that <clears throat> where the president... Fairly That's what it historically Mattis has meant. And Brett McGurk, yeah. uh, that he's very yeah. frustrated. What has actually happened? Is it just the media coverage of, of how this went down? Or what would have triggered the president to say February 28th is way too long for Mattis to stay at post? That the criticism is too intense, that it's getting too much traction. And stepping back for a second, there's been this thought of the stabilizing forces around the president, whether it was John Kelly, Secretary Mattis, for a while, Rex Tillerson, etc., Perhaps what the country actually needs is what it voted for, the actual undiluted approach to national security questions that this president campaigned on, which is what he says in his defense he's now doing. I told you I wanted to get out of Syria. I told you I didn't want to have endless wars. I told you I wanted to come back home. Now I'm doing it. Forget about the process. Forget about the communication strategy. I'm doing what I told you. Watch it, look it, evaluate it. Perhaps with the guardrails now less close to this president, the country is going to get what it voted for, and what actually is closer to his core instincts, we'll decide if we're comfortable with that. David, what are your thoughts on what Major just laid out there? Is Shanahan to stay, or are we going to see other nominees that perhaps the Pentagon would like to see at the helm? Well, I, the, the other names you hear are the retired Army General uh, Jack Keane and uh, Senator Tom Cotton. Uh, uh, Keene is about to turn 76, and, and that's getting up there for a job as uh, demanding as uh, Secretary of Defense, and both Keene and uh, Cotton are opposed to the uh, Syria pullout, so uh, they don't seem like natural uh, fits. Uh, I, I agree very much with what uh, Major just said. It, the story all along about President Trump has been that he blows off intelligence briefings. You can't change his mind. But now what's changed is he is taking decisions based on his instincts, not just telling people not to bother him with these arguments. He's making decisions based on his instincts. And we saw a similar pattern play out, Jeff, uh, this week with the back and forth over what the president would actually agree to in terms of funding and border security measures. You know, first, Republicans thought they could get something through without border wall funding. Now that's what we're shutting down the government around. Yeah, there was a deal, then there wasn't a deal... There's not a deal now, and it could go on beyond Christmas, and there are some federal employees right now who don't know as they head into Christmas when they will get their next paycheck. But obviously this is the president who, who feels like this may be his last chance to get that border wall. He wants $5 billion. The Democrats were offering $1.6, but now they feel emboldened, I think, and they lowered their number down to $1.3. So we're at a stalemate now, and the question is when... Will this be resolved? And when will we see the uh, current Secretary of Homeland Security remain at post? I mean, <laughs> is, does she have uh, an expiration date on her, as many are predicting? Well, I, I think we've been waiting for that shoe to drop, especially after General Kelly was announced that he was going to leave. And he is someone uh, who is sort of a mentor for her. So when he left, or uh, when we right. exactly... You know, there were those of us uh, who cover Homeland Security wondering, well, could she be next? Uh, that's what we're expecting uh, with Kelly on the way out. And, Paula, a lot of new blood in the new year, potentially. Uh, at the moment, we have an acting attorney general. Uh, and some news around him this week as it pertains to what the Justice Department recommended ethics-wise. And that was that he recused himself from any kind of dealings with the Russia probe, something that the prior AG had been fired for doing in the first place. What do people need to understand about this decision? Two big headlines coming out this week about Whitaker and his role in the Russia investigation. The first is that we learned he has never received any briefings about the Mueller probe so far. So that means everything that happened so far with Cohen, anything that's gone on the special counsel, that has still been approved by Rod Rosenstein, not acting attorney general Whitaker. Then we learned that ethics officials said that if Whitaker asked, they would advise that he recuse out of an abundance of caution based on these criticisms uh, of, of the special counsel that he made before he came to the Justice Department. But Whitaker never asked. 
And so he has made a decision uh, that he will take over the supervising role of the special counsel investigation going forward. He will begin to receive briefings. He and Rod Rosenstein will jointly oversee the special counsel investigation until an attorney general is confirmed. And do we have any prediction of when that could take place? No, but we got a preview of what that confirmation battle, as Major noted, one of many will start to look like because we had this memo surface written by Barr. He sent this unsolicited memo to the deputy attorney general laying out a pretty stark criticism of one of the central veins of the special counsel probe, which is obstruction of justice. Uh, Barr argues that the president couldn't possibly obstruct justice if he was working within his powers. He has the right to fire the FBI director. He has the right to dangle pardons. Many legal scholars have made this argument, but Barr sort of took it to an 11. And uh, now people are concerned that if he does take over supervision of the special counsel investigation, that he may be willing to shut down that aspect of the probe. Last time you were here, which wasn't too long ago, you said, I think, February or March for the end of the Mueller probe, or at least until then. You stick by that? I do, because you have so many things that need to be wrapped up. We've been hearing for months that people say, well, I think it's going to wrap up. I think it's going to wrap up. Well, I don't. And there are several reasons for that. One, Mike Flynn's sentencing uh, won't happen anytime before March. You also have uh, the grand jury continues to hear additional witnesses. We expect new indictments. You also have the special counsel fighting subpoenas in court. Paul Manafort won't be sentenced until February and then March. The special counsel's office continues to exist until every single discrete case is wrapped up. I don't see that happening before the end of March. I, th I think it's interesting. A lot of people have put a clock on this thing, but when you look at past special counsel investigations, uh, you know, Benghazi, that took two years, uh, and some of the others have taken four years. This is 19 months into the special counsel investigation. The FBI had it first, of course, but 19 months into Robert Mueller's investigation. And, Major, there's really little part of the Trump empire or Trump White House that's not being probed or investigated at this point. Not all by the special counsel. Right. Uh, their scrutiny will be applied by this new incoming House Democratic majority for sure. There are other lawsuits about the emoluments clause taking either foreign or domestic revenue at the Trump Hotel or Trump properties. Is that a violation? Lots of things are being investigated. There is a sense that the White House better person up for this, increase the number of lawyers in the White House Counsel's Office. That process is ongoing. It's not Are nearly complete. I don't think you're ever at fully prepared, and I would say if you were to use any statistic or metric that other previous administrations used on the preparation front, they would be far beneath that. We have... One of the things, special counsel not affected by the partial government shutdown. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Funded fully. Yes. So, so no backdoor shutdown that way. Um, we have a lot more to talk about, including your predictions for the year ahead, if you're brave enough to make them in this news environment. But we're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you, that's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com. And we're back now with our CBS News panel. There is so much we have to digest every week that I feel like all of us always look at ourselves and say, gosh, why didn't I get in that one story or that one point? <laughs> David, for you, what is the most underreported story that we need to know about? To me, it's the uh, new national defense strategy because, uh, as Secretary Mattis uh, outlined it, now competition with China and Russia, not the war on terror is going to be the primary focus of the uh, of the Trump administration and of, of U.S. national security, and that means that this giant super tanker that is the United States military is starting to turn away from whack-a-mole with terrorists toward building up the military to be able to compete on a uh, at a high-end 
of conflict. And long after we've uh, stopped arguing about uh, how many troops we should have had in Syria and how long, this is going to continue to play out because it's reflected in, in the Pentagon budget, which, of course, takes years and years to play out. So this is, this is a major change in the direction of, of U.S. foreign policy and, and national security policy, and I think one that's compatible with uh, the president's uh, Make America Great Again um, ethos. So I, I think that's, we're going to see a big change. Jeff, for you? You know, with all this talk about pulling out from Syria and Afghanistan, I talked to officials at the FBI who say the number of ISIS-related investigations that they have ongoing is still at about 1,000. You know, that number has been there for about three or four years now. So they're still facing these threats from people who are inspired by that ideology. So with all of this talk about pulling the troops out, they are still facing this daily threat of people who are going online and and watching what's happening in Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq and are uh, inspired by that ideology still. Still influential. Paula, for you, what has been underreported on your very quiet beat for Justice <laughs> And the one story I'd love to pay more attention to is, is the opioid crisis and the evolution of that crisis. We're seeing a record number of deaths, but right now that is being driven more by synthetic opioids called fentanyls. Meanwhile, government policy continues to focus on prescription <laughs> opioids. So that is something that if I had more time, I would certainly be focusing on. And we heard President Trump mention that uh, as a success out of his meeting with Xi Jinping, mm-hmm. that he would change how uh, fentanyl was handled uh, internally in his country. Major, for you, what has been underreported? So there is a narrative that exists for a good reason, because we feel it every day of this sense of chaos and constant polarized clash in Washington. But on certain issues, and I watched it in the Oval Office for nearly an hour just at the end of this week, There are bipartisan efforts that do succeed and make a big difference. Criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. Van Jones, standing in the Oval Office, across from Jared Kushner and Ralph Reed, all complementing each other on a coalition that created a significant alteration in American federal criminal justice for the first time in 30 years. The Farm Bill. Does that affect us here on the East Coast and the West Coast? No, but in the center of the country, it makes a huge deal. Opioids has at a policy level and at an appropriations level reached a level of critical mass on a bipartisan basis under this president's leadership. Now, is the president responsible for that? Largely no. Why are these successes occurring? Because actual legislators are doing legislative work with the president's approval, working out all the hard details, getting the president's sign-off, and making things happen. So, yes, there is a sense of chaos and polarization on macro issues and some of the ones that grab all the headlines. But there is functionality, and it was mm-hmm. work on a bipartisan yeah. basis, and not everything is chaotic and not going anywhere. But it was interesting how it, it didn't take long for that message of unity to get trounced upon because right. of the shutdown. You had the criminal justice reform, something mm-hmm. that people have been working on for years, and it was overshadowed. The sort president is uniquely capable of stomping into submission his very own good news. I will put in a point of privilege since I some foreign policy correspondent here. Uh, one of the things I think has been underreported um, is a human rights issue, and that is what's happening in China. Uh, you have reports from the State Department that between 800,000 and 2 million Muslims have been put in internment camps. Nikki Haley says this is the largest internment of people since World War II. There's been calls for sanctions on Capitol Hill, but we don't hear about it um, much in the conversations at the presidential level, certainly with Xi Jinping, we didn't hear about it. Um, I now want to go into really dangerous territory, (laughs) which is to try to predict what is coming at us in 2019. David, um, what should we expect uh, at a Pentagon where we don't yet know who the leadership will be? Well, just reading the uh, handwriting on the wall, the president has said that the annual military exercises with South Korea are both provocative and, and too expensive. So I predict that Uh, When he meets with uh, Kim Jong-un in January or February, he will uh, offer the concession of suspending the spring exercises, or not suspending, but canceling the the spring exercises with South Korea in return for some sort of concession on North Korea's nuclear weapons program. And that will allow him to uh, continue to maintain, despite all of the intelligence to the contrary, that 
the uh, North Korean uh, nuclear threat has been eliminated. And I think it's worth pointing out here on that prediction that your 2016 prediction of Trump and Kim Jong-un meeting came true. <laughs> so take notes on what David okay. just laid out. Although I think you also did say that Baghdadi was going to be taken out, and he seems to still be in at least deep, deep hiding We w- we, we wait to see. <laughs> we will wait to see. Always take notes of what David Martin says. <laughs> Always. That's Always. just All of the us do. Line. That is absolutely the case. Jeff, what is your prediction? Um, I am predicting that Mueller will find an element of collusion, conspiracy. Whether it's enough mm-hmm. in this political atmosphere, we'll see. But if you look at the pace of that investigation and the way that he has rolled up cooperating witnesses, mm-hmm. I think it's remarkable. If it were any other investigation, uh, I think that type of police work, if you will, would get a, a lot of attention. We have more than 33 indictments and guilty pleas in 19 months. It's remarkable. And I think it's heading towards something that will give the yeah. American public uh, a conclusion. Quickly, Major and Paul. I said Saudi Arabia was a huge issue last year in my predictions. I go back to that. Yemen and Syria are vectoring off the Saudi relationship. The death of Jamal Khashoggi and what this administration does or doesn't make of it is going to fundamentally alter our Middle East policy, and Pompeo's on it. Paul? There is no guarantee the Mueller report will be made public. I predict it will set off a massive legal fight uh, to make that full document public. Mideast peace plan supposed to be coming out by spring. That is what we're hearing. They've got 50 pages of it. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment with a look at what one member of Congress is doing to try and make for better bipartisan relations on Capitol Hill. Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading. And so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels... And photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com save for 40% off. LegacyBox.com save. With all the partisanship in Washington today, we thought we'd leave you with a story about what one Democrat is doing to bring some holiday cheer to his colleagues on both sides of the aisle. Fruitcake. It's the holiday season's most despised dessert. But for the last 22 years, Oregon Democratic Congressman Earl Blumenauer has been lobbying his fellow lawmakers to join the Confections Caucus. We're doing a little... Drive-by caking. Drive-by caking here. Drive-by fruit caking. That means surprising his colleagues with a treat he's loved since childhood. He makes hundreds every year over his Thanksgiving holiday. It's just kind of a a holiday ritual, you know, baking, separating dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of eggs. Over a thousand eggs, in fact. Blumenauer makes his deliveries in the offices and halls of the Capitol, each one complete with a shot of Portland-area pear brandy. I know you don't drink, yeah. but we have brandy for the staff for the okay, cake okay. if it, if it uh, makes sense. Yes, that's fine. I would pass it on to them. Great. So could I just taste a sample You right can, now? right there. Very tasty. Here is brandy that some eat with fruitcake, some douse it, some just drink it. (laughs) The congressman's fruitcake is welcome at any party, even the grand old party. He delivers to his Republican colleagues as well. Hey, 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 this is awesome. Who says fruitcake's no good? It's pretty good. But just Republicans on the Hill. You should run over to the White House with that. No. (laughs) Want to sample a piece of fruitcake? You know what? 
You don't have to. This is this will be my only fruitcake of the of Christmas the century. Season. That's right. <laughs> For you, anything. Well, any sacrifice. I'm sure it's a, a sacrifice. <laughs> but when even a taste is a sacrifice, why does he do it? He says it forms a connection with his colleagues that he can't get anywhere else. And he hopes that the spirit of giving something one hates a try might just make its way into the House chamber. One of the best guys you get to work with in Washington, D.C. The congressman says he pays for it all himself. Well, fruitcake's just one of the traditions. Next week on Face the Nation, we'll have another. We'll speak with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin, Michael Beschloss, Jill Lepore, and Peter Baker. They'll all be here to talk about their new books and leadership. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. We want to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a very happy holiday season. Until next week for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul, Delaware Democratic Senator Chris Coons, and Wyoming GOP Congresswoman Liz Cheney. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow... If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting May 1st. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.